Hey there, pilgrims. On this week's dose, we have Ron Levin, author of Higher Purpose Venture Capital and managing partner at Alumni Ventures. Ron had an unconventional path into the world of venture capital, having worked in the travel and aviation industries, which eventually led him to start a business in that area as well that ended up reaching unicorn status and today employs over a thousand people. Later on, he got connected with Alumni Ventures and specifically Yard Ventures, a fund for the Harvard community. And he has been with the Alumni Ventures team for nearly five years since then. So in the interview, you'll hear a little bit more about Ron's winding journey, as well as his passion specifically around impact investing. And with that, he tells us more about his blog, which actually ultimately led to his book and how he believes that both profit and impact can be achieved in venture capital. Listen through to hear Ron's take on the current state of the VC landscape, as well as his valuable advice to our listeners looking to get into both investing and entrepreneurship. It was an absolute pleasure hosting Ron on this week's Dose, and we're thrilled to share this engaging conversation with you all. Without further ado, here's our discussion with Ron. Is he here, kid? You gotta just go for it. Don't think about what comes after or what came before. You just gotta bend your knees, take a deep breath, and jump. This is Venture Pill, your weekly dose of startups and venture capital. We break down recent startups in the news and interview founders and investors to help you stay informed in the evolving world of venture. On this week's Dose, we have Ron Levin, author of Higher Purpose Venture Capital and managing partner at Alumni Venture, an esteemed colleague of mine. How's it going, Ron? Great. Thanks. Hi, Brandon. Hi, Sam. Great to see you. Likewise. Appreciate you joining the podcast. Getting things going here, would love to start with you walking us through your early career after graduating from Babson. What were your professional goals at the time? Yeah, so I, I grew up in the Boston area, but I was very entrepreneurial from the time I was a kid. I, I started my first business at age 11 and, and actually ran, ran a business, the, the same business for almost 10 years, really all the way through college. Oh, wow. So really entrepreneurial as a kid and just being in the Boston area, a lot of people put in my ear, oh, Babson College, that's the place that has this entrepreneurship program. And, you know, th I, that was kind of in the really kind of mid, mid later 90s when not every school had an entrepreneurship program. So that was kind of like the place to go if you're kind of a young, enterprising upstart. So I went there with the ambition of basically becoming, being an entrepreneur somehow. After a few years in college, though, as I was kind of exploring my interests and, you know, getting through school, I realized, geez, I've got like a mountain of like six figure debt here. Um, and then it was like, maybe I should get a real job for a while. Um, but it was an interesting time to be graduating. It was kind of toward the end of the first dot com bubble wave when when all of these companies all of a sudden exploded. And you know, your eBay stock was going up like 10% every single day and all kinds of craziness was happening in the market. So it was a bit hard to ignore that I, I was sort of interested in finance, but I was also interested in somehow getting in on on you know this tech and internet stuff that was happening, the, the interwebs, and we didn't even know what we were calling it back then. AOL, CompuServe were kind of evolving into the World Wide Web as the place people would go for their information and, and everything. So it was really early days then. So when I graduated, I, I had done some internships, both for like early dot-com 
kind of sites as well as in finance and like more in the asset management side kind of had these competing interests. Um, I ended up getting a sort of a perfect job that kind of hit the sweet spot um, working at Lycos, which was an early dot-com kind of portal search engine kind of pre-Google. We, we were at one point the biggest internet company, but generally Yahoo was the biggest at the time, but we were kind of right up there. And we were building this kind of multi-brand network. And so I was on the in-house M&A team. I, I got really fortunate. I got to become get hired as kind of the junior person on this internal M&A team. So I got to start meeting like a lot of internet like entrepreneurs pretty early in my career. And I, I just thought the environment was amazing, just so much energy and excitement. Now that company ended up, you know, not doing so well. They went through some mergers that didn't really work out too well and then kind of imploded with the dot-com bubble and more specifically Google coming along with, frankly, a much better product that beat every other search engine that was out there. And we kind of lost our way. So the company actually didn't end up surviving too much beyond that period of time in any meaningful form anyway. But I personally got a chance to work over in, in Madrid because we had been merged with a Spanish internet company and so got some international experience early. But then eventually it was like clearly time to leave. And I was essentially looking at where would I go next? Still pretty early in my career, but kind of ready for the, the second thing. And it, I really was kind of interested in VC and, and, and was looking at some opportunities there. But it was, again, it was still a tough market in VC back then. The, the whole dot-com thing had not really recovered yet. So I thought about my other interest, which was travel and, and even aviation. I, I kind of had an interest in airlines and the aviation industry. So I started looking at that in parallel. And, and then I, I went and worked in the airline industry. Um, I was a route planner, basically deciding the network decisions. Where, where are we going to fly the planes? What type of planes do we use? How many frequencies? What cities do we serve? And I was at America West Airlines, which was an interesting place to go. It was kind of doing a, a post 9-11 turnaround. And in a way, those two things are seem like very different jobs. But the two things together started to make sense a little bit later in my career when travel technology began to become a thing. And I was eventually later on, fast forward a little bit, I, I came back for business school, did my MBA, and then kind of went off to live in Europe. I did consulting at McKinsey, but I was specifically in the airline industry working with basically just airline and travel clients for a few years. But then eventually I was like, you know, I, I love this travel and airlines, but I also really miss the environment of being in in tech because of kind of the innovation and kind of the youthfulness and just always like thinking about the future. And so I thought about travel technology and, and that kind of got me in the door um, over at booking.com based uh, over in Amsterdam where I was living at the time. This was probably 2013 or so when I went to work at, at Booking. And I think a lot of people kind of know about Booking at this point, but it was essentially a company that had been acquired by Priceline, which was obviously a much better known brand in the US. And Priceline was on a tear. So for about a 10-year period, they were the number one performing company in all of NASDAQ. So it had just an unbelievable run. And the reason for that was not William Shatner and his you know, Priceline TV ads. <laughs> It was booking.com that was just this unbelievable growth engine and hotels actually pay high commissions. So every booking we got was basically like a 15 to 20 percent commission. And, you know, when you book hotel rooms, that's hundreds, sometimes thousands of dollars a pop. So if you can do that at scale, that's a heck of a cash cow business. And the company was just amazing at optimizing our search engine marketing and and just, you know, building it. A, a leading product and was really a fantastic place to kind of learn, learn the business. And so, you know, I had envisioned 
doing something entrepreneurial, I, I got a chance at booking where I sort of helped start a new division there, um, kind of a B2B division where we were selling services to uh, hotel owners and managers. But that kind of gave me a, a platform to think about, you know, if I'm going to actually become a real founder entrepreneur again, sort of getting at a point in my life and career where it, it's kind of like, let, let's, let's get going. Thankfully, I kind of got a, a kick in the butt from one of my colleagues at booking who left and started working on an idea basically for a better business travel management platform. And after a while, he eventually convinced me to join him. I finally said to hell with it. Let's do this thing. We made the decision standing on the top of a glacier in uh, Argentina of all places. It was kind of one of these places where you kind of have to step away from your reality to think deeply and, and, and big about what your future might bring. And, you know, we basically decided then and there that we would start a company together. And I eventually reached out to someone else that I knew who had started and sold his company to booking. And he agreed to be our third co-founder. So we kind of had myself as CEO, my friend Javier as, as chief product, and then this third, third guy, Avi, who was CTO at the time. And we said, let's do this. We're each going to invest some of our own money and we're going to start creating a company. And that sort of brought back the entrepreneurial juices. And I'm happy to talk more about the startup journey that I was on, but obviously the startup journey eventually led to, to getting into venture, having had the opportunity to raise the first funds and, and pitch investors from the other side of the table. You know, I, I can kind of fast forward on Travel Perk and we can talk more about that if you want, but we don't have to. But the, 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 the upshot is Travel Perk today is, is a unicorn 1,250 employees, customers around the world. My co-founder, who was the CTO, has been the C CEO for, for quite a few years now. I had left, I had some, some family health issues I had to attend to that brought me back to Boston, where I grew up. And, and I kind of left the business pretty early, but, but the company has done amazingly well. And it's been incredible to witness that, even though I, I only really played a hand in, in the first year or so. It gave me a lot of energy and and really brought me back to the world of entrepreneurship, which is what I love. And, and I, I just wanted to do something that allowed me to meet great entrepreneurs every day, learn about new technology and innovation. And just VC was kind of a natural fit for that. So, you know, happy to talk more about how I got connected with alumni, but um, yeah. I've, I've been rambling on for a while. So I'll let you <laughs> jump in with what, whatever you want um, to talk further on. Yeah. Oh, what a what a winding journey with you know being part of conventional industry and exploring your passion in aviation and travel and that leading, of course, to a jump into the, to the entrepreneurial space. Very very unconventional, I would say, but it, it all kind of like you said pieces itself together when you look back on it. Now yeah, it's amazing somehow it, things things happen in life that seem really odd at the time or you know or. or you know, unfortunate things, you know, sometimes bad things happen in your career and so forth. But somehow in the end, things start to make sense. You, you just kind of need a little more 2020 hindsight to, to, to realize it. But but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we'd love to hear how, how you got connected with Alumni Ventures. What stood out to you about them and, and how it's been the, since then, really? Yeah. Yeah. So when, when I moved back to Boston in 2016, it was kind of an interesting time. As, as I said, I was dealing with some health issues with my mom was sick and eventually passed away. And I was not really doing a full-time job. I'd kind of left the startup. I'd come off of, of a divorce, kind of just, you know, coming back home. It was a little bit like awkward, like, you know, yeah, the whole world ahead of me, I can do whatever I want. On the other hand, it's a little bit like starting over. 
and not really sure what I wanted to do. So I, I did a little bit of traveling in that time and kind of exploring different career options. I talked to some career coaches, like, what should I do? I took some career assessments, like, what would I be good at? I remember one in particular that I took had a really interesting result. Like it said, you, you score like 100% aptitude, whatever, for two possible careers. One of them was venture capital and the other one was like headhunting which was actually something I was thinking of doing, becoming like exec, an executive search consultant or something. And, and I actually was starting to look into that as an option. Hmm. But one fortunate thing happened, fortunate and maybe unfortunate in some ways later, which is the success of Travel Perk. We were, we were able to secure a Series A term sheet very shortly after I left. And I had a secondary opportunity and, and was able you know, to take, take some liquidity, which you know, at the time, not knowing where the company was going seemed like that could, that would be nice. It give myself a little padding personally. And, and so I took a bit off the table. Now, with hindsight, you know, probably should not have done that, or at least not have sold as much as I did. But at the time, it, it gave me an opportunity to start doing some investing and, and thinking about, okay, what I really want to do, I don't have to rush into anything. So I started doing some angel investing to kind of learn about, you know, other startups and how this whole investing side of things worked, made a few bets, mixed, mixed results as, as typically happens with angel investing. But in that journey, I discovered alumni and specifically Yard Ventures, the alumni ventures fund for the Harvard community. Pretty early days, um, they had, they were kind of in fund one at the time. I, I saw some marketing. There was an event at like the Harvard club downtown. I went to the event, met a few folks from AV and uh, found also that I, I had a friend from, from business school who was already an investor with them. I'm like, okay, well, let, let me try to invest in Yard. Um, what they do differently is they have a diversified portfolio. It's kind of investing across multiple stages, which I couldn't do as an angel investor. And I only had my own limited network, mostly in travel tech and you know some people I knew, um, but I didn't know people in you know really FinTech or, or health tech or all, any number of other areas. So I thought, well, this is an interesting way of diversifying my portfolio. Let, let me take a shot, see what happens. So I kind of invested the minimum at the time into the yard fund. In the first year or so, there were actually two quite positive exits in the portfolio. I'm like, huh, this is interesting. There's something going on here. I haven't seen any exits from my, my angel investments, certainly not this quickly. And I, I started focusing a little bit more on that. And I got to know the team a little bit more. They had some other events that, that gave me an opportunity to meet a few folks. I got to join the investment committee of Yard. So working with, with Michael Madden, who's been leading the fund until recently, and you know, just essentially had the opportunity to familiarize myself more with VC. And it became just an organic relationship build. And at one point they were looking to add someone else to the Yard team. I, I wasn't sure if, if you know, I is this role a bit junior for me or I don't know, but like, Hey, this is an opportunity when, when opportunities present themselves, like, you know, it's not easy to get into VC in, in an investing role. Certainly not where I was in my career. I, I had not taken like a, a kind of a, a direct path that, that you might say into VC. Uh, I'd kind of done a little of this and a little of that in my career, but because I'd formed a relationship and, and, you know, yard and AV were interested in my background, having been a founder of a company that was, you know, seemed to be doing well, you know, they, they took a shot on me and I took a shot on, on VC and, you know, with, with, you know, lots of fortune and, you know, and everything that comes with it, it it's worked out great. And, you know, I've now, I'm now going on my fifth year. It'll be five years in June since I joined the wow. team and have been able to progress in my career, kind of joined as a principal and have kind of 
now thankfully worked my way up to, to a managing partner title and, and now have the responsibility of leading our seed fund as well as our, our new uh, focus fund that we call the Doctors Innovate Fund, a, a health tech fund, um, which has allowed me to explore something that was never in my past prior to VC in, in, in healthcare investing. So, you know, every day is a learning journey. I've been with AV now longer than I'd been at any prior employment, which I think speaks to the fact that I continue to be curious for one and, and learning something new every day and, and just working with people that I enjoy working with that I feel listen, res respect my opinion, folks that I can learn from and that I enjoy working with. And, and I feel like it's been a, a terrific fit and, you know, has, has allowed me to evolve and, and develop in my career to a place where I, I feel like this is really kind of what I've meant to be doing. It's very different from being an entrepreneur and a founder. And there are obviously a lot of trade-offs between one or the other, but for where I am right now in my career, I, I, it's hard to see myself doing anything else really. Yeah, that, that's an awesome story and journey with Alumni Ventures. That's network-powered venture capital at its finest. Digging in a little bit more, would love to hear about what excites you the most regarding venture investing. Are there any specific sectors that you find yourself gravitating towards? I imagine your experience in travel maybe has an influence, but would love to hear your take. Yeah, it's, it's interesting with the travel because I think because I come from that industry, I actually approach travel deals with, with a bit more skepticism. Um, because because of what I know. Um, I, I have done a couple of travel deals um, in my time, but actually not very many. Um, that, that may be part of the reason, I don't know. But but yeah, I mean, I've, I've been able to explore a lot of other areas of interest. You know, I mean, I think what I discovered as a VC, probably a year, maybe year and a half into it, is that I really get the most satisfaction out of investing in companies that are solving a big societal problem. I mean, most companies we fund are, are solving a problem or, or filling a need of some kind, but there are certain problems that are really solving issues for folks who are less fortunate, who maybe have not had a lot of opportunities in life, you know, kind of bottom of the pyramid, low income. Those I gravitate toward a bit more because they are very big problems that, that deserve to be solved. And there are really incredible entrepreneurs out there who are trying to solve them. And most of them are doing so because they've had a lived experience that have led them to that. And, you know, it's interesting that there's actually a very broad, diverse array of, if you look at the companies that are trying to use technology to solve problems that relate to both the causes and the symptoms of, of social and wealth inequality. So there are education technology companies, there's fintech companies, there's health and wellness, there's food and water security, there's housing, affordability, there's disability technology, a lot of different areas. And I had the opportunity to invest in a number of these. And, and I, I finally had a realization that this was a common theme in, in what I really got excited about investing in. Now, it's not to say that I will only invest in companies like that because my, my mandate is very broad, particularly with our seed fund, that I, I don't really limit myself. But I, I, I really get a lot of fulfillment when I'm able to invest in companies like that, which is why I started to channel that by, by writing a blog initially. So a couple of years ago, I decided to start what I called the Higher Purpose Venture Capital blog. I've, I've now recently renamed it to the Higher Purpose Smorgas blog because I sometimes cover topics <laughs> that are not directly <laughs> VC related, but, but somehow thematic in, in, in higher purpose. And I started telling the stories. I initially, my first I, sort of blogs were basically Q&A interviews with founders that I had invested in and I wanted to kind of share their story with, with a bigger audience because I thought it was worth telling. And then I expanded that to start using it as a platform to reach out to other entrepreneurs who I had not yet met. 
But I had the common theme of all of these founders had raised venture capital because I really want to tell the story that capitalism can be a source of good in the world to help support deserving founders that are trying to solve big problems. And, and I also, you know, there's that kind of social mission, but I, I want to really, you know, encourage investors, angel investors, VCs to think about, you know, how you put your investment dollars to work. Because, yeah, there is obviously a lot of correlation between successful tech companies and those that raise VC and are able to grow, but, but it's causation too. You know, there's so many great startups, but if you can't raise venture, you may not have a shot at, at, at building a big successful company. And, you know, by the mere fact that any investor is willing to step in, and particularly when it's a VC and kind of institutional investor stepping in with, with, with hopefully a, a bigger check, there's an opportunity to actually create that big company. So I hope to not just inspire other entrepreneurs to know that they can raise VC and build a scalable business, but also to inspire investors just to think about, you know, you've got a lot of power. Like we're, we're really privileged to be in this business that we're not just investing our own money, but investing other people's money. Let, let's do something important with it. Let, let's solve big problems. And so I, I really like to use my platform to try and solve, you know, really meaningful you know, problems that I think technology can have a role to, to hopefully fix for, for some part of the population that, that may not have, you know, as much privilege as, as some of us do. Yeah, no, that's extremely well said. Thank you for sharing. And that definitely resonates with Sam and I. A lot of the companies we look to highlight are mission-based, high-impact companies making money and doing good at the same time. And then so you mentioned it, and we'd like to, it's a good natural segue into, we'd like to hear a little bit more about your book, higher purpose venture capital. What was the writing experience like? And also if you could just provide a brief overview of the book. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So higher purpose venture capital is, is really meant to share the stories of venture backed companies that are solving problems related to social and wealth inequality. And I do that by essentially sharing the stories that they've primarily, you know, stories that I featured in my blog. But I also provide some narrative around that to kind of, you know, categorize their, their different categories of companies from democratizing access to capital and credit to, you know, solving problems for, for immigrants and migrant workers to, you know, as I've mentioned, you know, food and housing and disability tech. There's something on, on in increasing charitable giving as well. All venture backed startups that I, I talk about. So that's kind of the, the theme of the book. It, it's really meant to have sort of three audience, one entrepreneurs you know, social entrepreneurs to kind of people who are just generally interested in social justice and, and perhaps the intersection of capitalism, and social justice, because capitalism can also be, you know, a, a four letter word in some circles. And, you know, ca capitalism has created a lot of the problems that that we had in society. But I, I also firmly believe that it can be a solution to a lot of problems as well. And then, you know, of course, also reaching out to founders and, and hopefully inspiring founders. And in, in, in each sec, you know, segment of the book, I, I talk about this what venture capital firms have actually been investing in these companies as well. And I, I highlight them by name just, just to you know, be a little bit practical about like if you have a similar venture, who might you want to talk to? But to your question of how, how the process was of writing a book, when I started blogging, I had no intention or the thought never even crossed my mind to actually put it into a book format. But getting once I was sort of a year or so into it, it sort of dawned on me that I had enough content here that I, I could sort of tie it all up and, and, you know, kind of put a, a narrative around it, um, which I hadn't, you know, really thoroughly done before. 
So the process is is interesting when, when you go about it that way, because I was writing it in pieces, right? I was doing, when I first started, I was gung-ho. I was doing two blogs a week. Then I got down to one blog a week. Now I'm at a blog every two weeks, just because you know time gets in the way. And a, a lot on my plate these days, I also have a family and everything. So, uh, but because I had already written enough blogs and, and had written them sort of across different categories, I felt like there was a co- sort of a cohesive narrative that I wanted to tell around that. Um, so it's a lot easier when you're doing it piecemeal and you don't, you know, as a first book, I'm not like, you know, Stephen King, I can just, or Isaac Asimov, who can just sit down and write just, and, you know, it all comes flowing out. And, it, you know, I, I had to do it in pieces. And for me, like, I could really only write like early mornings, I would wake up, shower, go downstairs and start writing. And that's when I'm at my freshest, like late at night, I, I can't write for anything. It just doesn't, doesn't, words just don't come out. So I had to find like my groove of, of when I could write. And because I was doing it kind of one by one, it, you know, I was able to just do it and break it up into pieces and kind of get it done. And, and yeah, that's how it came to be. And then I, I really want to get it out quickly because, you know, the, the, these startup stories are kind of in the moment and I, I don't want, want it to let it linger. So I decided to basically hire a hybrid publisher, basically a company that, that would publish the book on, on kind of a contract basis. So I didn't have to go through the process of hiring, you know, an agent who would then go out and talk to all the publishers. Like, I think I could have gotten it published through a traditional publisher, but it would have taken so much longer that I was more interested in just kind of getting it out there. And, and, you know, hopefully people could read it while some of the stories are still reasonably fresh. (laughs) Right. And so the book is definitely on the venture pill reading list. Sam and I got to get to it, but while looking at the executive summary, I saw an emphasis on the double bottom line. Could you quickly elaborate more on that concept and how more VCs could participate in serving that double bottom line? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's basically returns and impact. And, you know, my thesis is this is not about charity. Like charity absolutely has a role and there are plenty of books and other things to be said about that. This is about for-profit venture and scalable venture. You know, VCs like businesses that scale. And so all of these ideas have to be ones that initially will work on a small scale and then can be brought to, to bigger communities, either geographic communities or different markets or what, whatever. And um, it, it's really important that they're both profit-seeking as well as mission-driven, so that second bottom line of, of purpose, solving a societal problem. So there are lots of problems in the world. And everybody has a different view on what, what's the most important problem. So I, I didn't really cover climate tech too much because I felt like there was better coverage of that than, than I could provide. So I, I really honed in on, on this inequality issue as being kind of one of the biggest societal challenges that's very broad and goes across different you know, societies and, and covers all, all kinds of different sectors and, and, and so forth. So that's what I decided to focus on. But everyone has their their own thing of, of what's important. And, you know, I've often been asked the question, how do you marry the two of, you know, aren't you compromising one with the other? Like if, if I invest in social impact, does that mean that I'm going to compromise my returns? But th- there really isn't any good evidence of that. I mean, the, the data that has been collected, I, I've really tried to decipher all of it. And it's, it's so completely inconclusive because it's hard to define what an impact investment is for one. And also what the returns of investors are, because some investors say that, you know, hey, I'm not going to invest in fossil fuels or tobacco or whatever, that it's really hard just to, 
even find numbers. And, you know, as, as the saying goes, lies, damn lies in statistics, you can, hmm. you know, put together any numbers you want to make whatever case you want for or against. So I'm not convinced that that there's a clear argument that financial returns are greater or worse if, if it's an impact investment. I mean, if you believe that there is a, an inverse correlation, then go ahead and just invest in tobacco and guns and I don't know, whatever other vices you might think about. But I would challenge any investor to kind of say to themselves, is there anything in the world that might be more important to me than maximizing my financial return, particularly for an accredited investor who might be an angel or a VC investor who may not be living paycheck to paycheck and have some money to put to work? Like, might you consider your kid's education to be pretty important? Might you consider investing in longevity and your own health to be more important so you can live a longer life? Like, I, I truly believe if people stop and think about it, there are things that are more important. And I, I hate to throw any industry under the bus, but you know, the next NFT that comes along is not really gonna move the needle for anybody. Like, it might be satisfying some need that's out there, but it's not really solving a big problem in my opinion. And people are welcome to shoot darts at me if you disagree with that. But you know, some problems are just bigger than others. And I, I, you know, I'm, I just hope that investors, as they think about their portfolios to say, hey, you know, is there something that I care about enough that I really want to focus on, be it education, be it healthcare, be it, you know, democratizing access to credit for the 50% of, say, the African continent that's unbanked? You know, isn't there some injustice in that that might be worth thinking about whether there's a solution that, that could be worth investing in? So, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not really trying to preach to anybody. I, I'm just trying to hopefully open some eyes that, you know, maybe it's worth considering the double bottom line when, when, when you think about what, what companies you're going to invest in and, and how you're going to direct the assets that you're privileged enough to have. Yeah. Thanks so much for elaborating on that, Ron. I think that as Brandon said, resonates with us heavily and we always find the impact companies, the companies making the biggest impact are the most interesting too. So that that's awesome. Um, a big theme I think of recent in, in the venture world certainly is impact investing. What's your take more broadly on the current state of the VC market today? We're curious. Yeah, it's been a really interesting time in VC starting, you know, close to two years ago when, when the market started having a kind of a post COVID downturn, you know, capital started drying up. It's a lot of it is still a little bit of a, a, a mystery and an, or a mystery inside of an enigma instead of a riddle or whatever it was that Churchill said, because the, the, there's, a, there's a big dichotomy in the market right now. Anyone can see that the public stock market is at all-time highs, which should mean that more venture-backed companies should be going public, which should mean that there's more liquidity coming back to the market, which should fund earlier stage startups. But that hasn't really been happening in the last year. Now, we are starting to see some early indicators that 2024 could look a bit different. You know, I've talked to some, some law firms that work on M&A and IPOs, and they're starting to see some you know, meaningful movement in, in their conversations. And just with, with the markets, you know, really being at, at highs and, and it seems like we, we've had a soft landing thanks to kind of Fed policy where inflation's come down, but, you know, the, the unemployment is still low and, and, you know, the market's kind of reflecting that. So there are a lot of very positive macro indicators that venture has been a laggard on this time, which is really interesting because I think that may create a real opportunity 
you know, as, as any value investor knows, you, you get in when, when markets are low, not when they're at their highest, generally. It's a, kind of a broad rule of thumb. And well, markets have been low. I mean, I think it's a great time to get in. A lot of big investors have been sitting on, on cash and, and, you know, there's all this dry powder that, that should be getting put to work. I think it's starting to, I think it's, it's been slow, but my hope is that, that we will see a gradual return to some kind of venture normalcy now it might not be the highs of you know kind of 2020 or or 21, but th there's a recovery that I think is going to emerge here, which I think will bring some liquidity back. And so I, I do envision the markets turning around a bit. Obviously, there's a lot of movement in in AI, which I think is going to have a genuine stimulus effect, as that you know plays into many different industries. You know there were, you know. AI companies were, you know, one in 10 or 20 companies I was looking at a couple of years ago said we were an AI company, whatever. Now it's like, everybody is like, well, this is how we're using AI. And, and that's, that's great, hopefully for, for the better. So yeah, I, I, I do see that the market is, is kind of been in, in, a, in a strange state for, for the last year, but, but some signs of recovery that I see on the horizon. Awesome. Well, Ron, before we let you go, this has been a great interview, but just a couple more questions. Um, Curious to hear what advice you might have to offer to any of the venture pilgrims out there, that's what we call our listeners, that are looking to get into the world of venture capital, whether it's entrepreneurship or investing, just mm -hmm. not really not really sure where to start. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of ways to, to learn about venture, either you know as an entrepreneur, as a, as a, as a potential future VC. I would let me answer that first from for those that might be interested in, in becoming a VC someday. There's no direct path into VC anymore. I mean, there, there are some more traditional paths, which is you go to, you know, Ivy League school or equivalent and, you know, you do investment banking or some consulting and then get into, you know, you can get actually get hired and as, as this kind of associate level, like that happens. But seeing a lot more of people getting in kind of after having been an operator. So having the experience of being, if you've been a founder, great, or, or even just working in a startup environment and, and really getting a feel for that, you know, great tech skills are really important. You know, I, I do not have an engineering or tech background, but in many ways, I, I wish I did. I think it would have helped accelerate my kind of learning curve as you learn about kind of new technologies. But there are many paths into VC. It's, it's not the easiest industry to get into, but there are, you know, it's really about networks. So I would say network as much as you can, get to know VCs and don't reach out to them just saying, I'm looking for a job. You know, reach out because you want to learn and, and take the opportunity just to network, learn. That's the way you're going to eventually find your way in because you know people and they get to trust you. There's a lot of ways to learn about the industry. Alumni Ventures, as you know well, we have a fellow program that lets people who are in other industries or maybe even still studying start to explore venture, learn about it. There are other traditional ways like like your podcast there are lots of other great podcasts blogs books i mean just type in venture capital books there there's there's a ton of them that are great that are worth learning about and, and reading for for those who are interested in being an entrepreneur and potentially raising vc you know again start by by all, all these different sources of content just to kind of understand what the baseline is I, th I think that's you know kind of table stakes you you need to know what everyone else knows first of all and then use that as a starting point. So kind of reading, you know, your typical books like, you know, Venture Deals or Lean Startup. And, you know, there, there are a number of others that are kind of kind of come up on your sort of top 10 list on Amazon and, and VC and entrepreneurship. Kind of start there. 
But also there are other programs out there besides AV that have sort of more hands-on learning opportunities where you also get to engage with a community um, of, of other people that are learning about VC and people who are in VC. There's plenty of online courses as well, even from, from schools like, like you know, Harvard and other big names that offer online learning programs. So a lot of ways to learn. But I think the most powerful thing you can do is immerse yourself in, in startups, go to networking events, you know, meet entrepreneurs, pick their brains. There, there's a lot of information out there. You just have to kind of gather it and then and then just start networking away. Um, because I, I think getting into either of these businesses, it, it's really about building a, a community of, of people who who can support you and 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 teach you something. Um, you know, from their for their experiences. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's great advice, Ron. Appreciate you sharing that. And of course, we we want to give you a chance to share how our listeners could potentially get in touch with you, learn more about Yard Ventures and the other funds you're working on at AV. And of course, your book and your blog. Uh, feel free to plug yourself, uh, whether it's social media or any websites. Yeah, I appreciate that. So for Alumni Ventures, um, you can start at av.vc, one of the easiest websites to remember. <laughs> Alumni Ventures is a little bit of a, an unusual venture capital organization because we work with individual accredited investors as well as other people who come into our community as experts or, or just people who want to follow along and learn. I mean, just get on our mailing list. That's one way to learn because we send great newsletters that have interesting information about startups and companies we're investing in and trends in the industry. And we do a lot of webinars. Um, we publish blogs. We do TikToks. We're, we're actually a content generating machine for, for anyone who's interested in venture and startups. So that's a great place to start. I'm, I'm specifically involved with the Seed Fund as well as our Doctors Innovate Fund, uh, which you can find more information about on our website, um, as well as all the other funds that we operate under the same uh, umbrella. To follow me more specifically, of course, I have my book, Higher Purpose Venture Capital. My book website is higherpurposevc.com. So you can find out a little bit more about me and, and the book there, as well as links to buy it on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and, and some other places. It's, it's both in, in soft cover as well as there's a Kindle version. And then lastly, to continue following me and, and all of my random thoughts, I have my blog, the Higher Purpose um, Smorgas blog which you can find at ronlevin.substack.com. In addition to profiling venture-backed companies that are, are you know, solving societal problems, I, I, I cover you know, some of my, my own musings about everything from you know, preferences in elite education to my complaints about our tipping culture. And you know, actually, I, I covered a nonprofit in the last blog. Tomorrow, I'm going to go live with a new blog, which is actually a podcast and interview with a woman I know who started a school because she thought there was a better way of doing education and she had a vision and without any prior training in education, she said, I'm going to partner up with somebody and we're actually going to start our own private school to do things a bit differently. And I, I think it's a really interesting listen also because it happens to be where I send my kids to preschool at a school. And, and I've known the, the founder who started the school for many years. And I think it's a really interesting entrepreneurial story of hey, here's a problem in a big area, education, and I'm going to go about solving it and just going to roll up my sleeves and do it. So there's a lot more coming with the blog. I, I'm going to cover a lot of different topics, but anyone who's interested may, may kind of subscribe and follow along. And I don't bombard you. It's just one every two weeks. But I think there's a lot, you, you know, hopefully of interesting content that, that will come through there. So I appreciate the opportunity to share, share that. And feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn as well, if, if you'd like. 
Yeah, no, that that upcoming podcast sounds awesome. Appreciate you giving us a sneak peek. Love the name Smorgasblog. Um, name value alone is must-see. But that just about wraps us up for today. So thank you very much, Ron. Appreciate you taking the time to come on for an episode. This was awesome. I'm sure our listeners are going to love it. And yeah, looking forward to staying in touch. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you, Sam. Really appreciate you having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thanks thank for coming you. on, Ron. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another dose of startups and venture capital. And as always, we appreciate our pilgrims spreading the word about the show. Share with your friends and help someone else make the pilgrimage. See you next time. She told me that she only bumps my music when she's lonely. Thinks my vibe's a little low-key, okey-dokey. That's all right, but wait, I don't know how to do things different.